So, Pastor Tim asked me to preach a little, a little sermon that's kind of an encouragement to the whole congregation as we gear up for the new year. This isn't a specifically New Year's-focused theme. It's more of a little bit of a look at how we as a congregation are called to operate and really a kind of vision casting a little bit for what I hope we can continue to work towards in the new year as a body of believers. That's kind of the purpose of this. And so I'm hopeful, like I read from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 at the beginning of the service, right? I want us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? Not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's kind of the purpose of this, especially as we prepare for the new sermon series, the the Together, the One Another series that we're going to be moving into. So we are going to be in Acts chapter 2 tonight. And we're going to look at a little snapshot of the early church, a very famous passage. I'm sure most of us have read this a dozen times and likely heard preaching on it before. As a reminder as to what we as a body, as a congregation, as a church, as a family, are called to pursue together. So this is not a a singularly focused message, although of course it has individual application, this is really to all of us collectively as a family. We got that? We are all on the same page. And I must apologize to you, given the Christmas holiday and the transplant and everything, I did not have time to put a PowerPoint together. Sorry, so I got blank screens on either side of me. I, I don't like doing that. I always like to have the visuals there. Um, usually I would just move to interpretive dance as a way to kind of, you know, break things up, but I know John's a fan of that, you know, uh, especially when I get my butterfly going, right? But they're not allowed me to do that tonight either, so um, you just got to stuck, stuck kind of listening to me talk, all right? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And before we go there, I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in, okay? Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that we can call you our brother, that you came to this world, you were born, and we just celebrated that, but you were born so that you could die in our place for all of us. And because of your death and your resurrection, Lord, we can be united as a family as we follow you and are knit together by your Holy Spirit and are called to love each other and to share your truth, your light, your love with this world. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged to do all of those things as we study this passage Today And I pray, Lord, that you would guide us into your truth. Lord, we know your spirit will do that. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, that there would be nothing that I would say, Lord, that isn't what you would have me speak. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to your truth. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Now, before we read, I just want to give us a little bit of context. So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know that in chapter 1, after Jesus rose and then appeared to his disciples, he told them to wait in the upper room for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And there were 120 of them, the text says, waiting in the upper room, praying earnestly for the Spirit to be poured out. And that happened at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And as soon as the Spirit of God was poured out on those 120, the text says that Peter got up and he went outside and he began to preach. And at the culmination of his sermon, it says in Acts 2.41 that about 3,000 souls were saved that day. 3,000 people put their trust in Jesus, which is pretty awesome. Amen? And it's, it's a cool little study if you study uh, Exodus 32 and the giving of the Old Testament law at Mount Sinai and then the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts 2. There's some really cool parallels there, which we're not going to get into, but you can study it on your own. So that means that the early church, the earliest kind of example that we have of a congregation of believers, a body of believers, a family, was about 3,100 strong. And they had to figure out a way to live out their faith together. What did that look like for them to pursue Jesus together? And Luke, the author of Acts, gives us a snapshot of that in verses 42 through 47. So let's read that. And then we're going to break it down and just go through this very conversationally. All right? So... Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they, the early church, these 31, 3,200 people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we have a, a beautiful snapshot of how the early church operated right there in that text. And we're going to break this down and use the basis of this as an encouragement to us as to how we should be pursuing Jesus together as a family. All right? That's the whole goal from this for today. So the first thing I want us to see, and this really sets the stage for the whole passage, is the devotion of the early church. If I were you, I would underline, circle, bracket the words, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. 
In the Greek, that's just one word, which if I was doing PowerPoint, I would have put that up there for you, but I don't, so you gotta look it up for yourselves. It's uh, proskar tereo, which doesn't mean anything to anybody other than someone who knows Greek, which I don't. I just like saying it to sound smart, you know what I'm saying? Proskar tereo. It, what it means, though, and I would write this down, is it means to have a single-minded focus, a steadfast pursuit, that there is nothing that distracts you from whatever it is you are seeking. And it is, and it's written in a tense that means, A, it's plural, very important, and B, it is an intentional decision that I make. So it's not something that just happens by accident. I am intentionally choosing to pursue these things. Now, I think a good example of this happened just a couple days ago on Christmas Day. Any of you who have children or had children or at one time was a child, how many is that of us in this room? That's everybody, that's right. Um, should be able to relate to the idea of waking up on Christmas morning. I think it's probably safe to say that most children on Christmas morning are pretty devoted towards the Christmas tree, right? And if that's the tradition that your family has of, of opening presents, then they have a single-minded focus of getting there and doing that, right? There's nothing that's going to distract them from that except for cranky, tired parents, right? So that's the idea here. There is a single-minded devotion. They were devoted to this. And it says that they were devoted to this. Recognize that this isn't an individual devotion. This is a collective devotion, if you look and read through Scripture, very interesting, you will never, ever, ever, ever find the word saint in the singular. Saint, saints, always appears plural because when Scripture talks about the people of God, it is always in community. That is how God conceives of us. It's in community that we are living and operating in community. We are devoting ourselves to a communal purpose together. They were very intentional about this, and that is a critical thing that we recognize that they chose intentionally to devote themselves. And there are four things, four things that the text tells us they devoted themselves to. And then there is descriptive material that tells us what happened as an, as an overflowing of those four things that they devoted themselves to. And we can see it right here. It's, it's straightforward. And again, if I were you, I would underline each one of those, maybe even put a one, two, three, four next to each one in your text, in your Bible. It says they devoted themselves to... The apostles' teaching, number one, to fellowship, number two, the breaking of bread, number three, and the prayers, number four. So let's break each one of these down very simply. Number one, the apostles' teaching. 
Well, Peter, who you already know, stood up and preached this sermon that led to 3,000 being saved. He would later write in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, like newborn infants, this is, he's commanding us, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, the idea here is that we should be longing for deeper truth. We should be longing for a deeper understanding of who God is. Did you know that the entire Bible is written, really, for one purpose? It's written for us to understand who God is more deeply. And as a corollary to that, what he expects of us. And as a corollary to that, how we can pursue him. That's really the entire point of scripture. Right there. And as children of God... As those who are pursuing truth, we should all have a hunger and thirst for a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding and a deeper rooting in the teaching of Scripture, the the spiritual milk of Scripture. And then, as the writer of Hebrews would say, to move on from milk to the meat of our faith. But the Word of God, what we have here in the Bible... This is the food of our spiritual growth, and it will be the primary means, though not the only means, but the primary means by which we mature in Christ. And so, a question for us, individually, but more so collectively, is, do we make the pursuit, the devotion to the Word of God, His teaching, His truth, a priority? Do we do that? Do we do that in our worship services? I think we do. Praise God. Don't ever let it change. But do we also do that when we get together and hang out and have time when we can encourage each other? Or do we get sidetracked into other things that is kind of referencing the Word of God but isn't really the Word of God? And these are just things to evaluate. I'm not making any sort of pointed call out here. But are we collectively, are we learners? And are we spurring others on to go deeper in the word? A desire to grow in our understanding of scripture is one of the evidences that the Holy Spirit is working in us. Amen? I mean, if you're sitting here today and you have no interest in any of the things I'm saying, it's probably because I'm just a boring speaker, all right? Or alternatively, maybe, kind of, sort of, it might be because the Holy, you're quenching the Holy Spirit within you. You're not allowing him to move you to the truth, right? You don't have a desire for deeper learning, that's not a great indicator of where you stand spiritually. And I know that some of us been there, done that, heard this before. My encouragement to you would be 
always seek to find that nugget that can help deepen your understanding just a little bit further. Find those connections between, oh, I never saw how this passage connected to that passage before. There's always something. If you're asking the Spirit to lead you in the truth, He will show you something all the time. Don't ever tire of hearing good Bible preaching. That's so important for our growth. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's pretty strong, right? We need to recognize that the devil is very, very smart. And he knows exactly how to distract us. He knows exactly how to twist the truth. And he knows how to just outright lie to us to get us to believe mistruths and misinformation. And we cannot fall for that. We will be destroyed for our lack of knowledge. Recognize that the text doesn't say, my people are destroyed for believing a lie. It says they are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, i.e., they didn't know the truth well enough and therefore believed a lie. See how that works, right? Praise God that we have the Holy Spirit to counteract that and lead us into the truth. But that's, that's point number one of what these people devoted themselves to individually and collectively is the apostles' teaching, and they spurred each other on to go deeper and deeper in that. Number two is fellowship. And, and this one is really perhaps... In some ways, the core of what made the early church so unique. And I would argue that this is perhaps the area that is under attack the most by the enemy. Is what does it mean to live in real Christian community? What does it mean to live in real covenantal commitment to each other as a family. And that's what this is. The Greek word for fellowship here is one that you've probably heard before. It's koinonia. And in a sense, it basically just means partnership or mutual commitment. It means to share with another or with one another. I know that we, fellowship is one of those fun little church words, right? We're going to go over and we're going to fellowship together, which is code for like have pizza or something, right? Um, Yes, of course, fellowship, sharing, partnership, mutual commitment necessitates relationship. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to have the building blocks there and have time together, but it's so much deeper than that, and this is where the enemy tries to get us off track, because this is where the enemy tries to distract us from going deep with someone he wants to keep us right here on the surface. And that's where we cannot fall victim to that, but it's so easy to do. It's so easy to stay kind of right here where I'm comfortable and not necessarily engage more deeply. Now, the idea of koinonia 
carries with it the idea of covenant. And this is where we get the concept of covenant community from in Scripture. It carries with it the idea that I am committing to you, you are committing to me, and we are agreeing to pursue Jesus together through thick and thin. And we have a shared responsibility in helping each other to do that. It really creates the idea of church as family. And, and I think that for us, we have pockets of koinonia that work really well. I think that there are some, some groups of people who, who do this very well. And I think that there are also other people who yearn for this but haven't been able to find it yet. And there are others still who just don't even know how to engage and to get there because, well, our culture fights so fervently against this. You all know, you all know that we live in a culture of isolation, individualism, escapism. You'd all agree with that, I hope. That's the reality of the culture that we live in. And we live in a culture of surface-level social media relationship. That's not koinonia. That's not deep partnership. That's not sharing our lives with each other. It's the exact opposite of what we are called to, to live in covenantal community, to rely on each other as we all rely and depend on God. I could, I could preach an entire sermon just on this, and I can really get on a soapbox and get going. I'm not going to do that. But I want us to see how critical this is. And again, remember that this is something that the early church devoted them to pursuing. They devoted themselves to pursuing this. This wasn't just a nice concept and a nice idea that, oh yeah, that would be great, I would like to have that. This was one of the four core things that they pursued together as a community. Why did they do that? Well, because they understood the shared identity that they had in Jesus Christ. See, that, that really is the driver for this, guys. If, if you... If you understand the significance of what it means to be a child of God, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be one who has been, been born from above and whose identity now is defined by who God says you are and not defined by what the world says you should be, then you will also understand that our brothers and sisters in Christ who have made that same commitment, repented, received the washing of their sins by Jesus Christ and have submitted to him, well, they are your brother and sister in the Lord. And when you begin to understand your identity next to their identity, then you see why we are called to pursue living in fellowship together. Because if I don't pursue that, then that is an indicator that I don't really understand my own identity in Christ. And I say this, I'll say this as gently as I can, if I don't consider 
covenantal community, fellowship, an important thing in my walk with God, then what that means is that I don't understand what it means to be a child of God. All I really have is an understanding of God saving me, and I have a consumer mentality of Christianity. It's all about what I get out of it, what God has done for me, as opposed to I have received this gift from the Lord along with these other people and we are all collectively pursuing him together and I am called to love them and use my gifts and talents and abilities and opportunities and influence for the furthering of God's kingdom alongside of my brothers and sisters. And I cannot possibly succeed to do the thing that God has called me to do apart from my church family here. That is what real fellowship, what koinonia is calling us to, what we should be devoted to. And if we really understand our identity as children of God, then that will move us to seek that together. And if we're not seeking that, then there's a breakdown somewhere. We're falling into a trap that the culture, that the enemy is trying to get us to fall into. A a, a Christian who does not pursue fellowship is a Christian that is not operating at their most effective level. The Lord will still use you to do things because God's God and he uses us in spite of our sin. Praise God for that, amen? But if we really want to see the Lord start to do some awesome, cool stuff, pursue him in community together. And I'm not saying like, hey, I'm walking arm in arm with 30 people here. That is often not the way it works. It might just be a handful of people. It might just be four or five or two or three But the key thing is that we're not doing it alone and I'm not comfortable in my little isolation, right? So it is so important that we all are seeking to engage with one another. And what that means is that, let me encourage us, we, we do our little greeting time. Yay, meet and greet. Yay, yay. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you again. Great, great. Yeah, good, good, good. If that's all that we're doing, we're just staying right at that nice superficial level, right? The whole point of even that is to meet someone so that you can say, hey, you know what? I don't really know you very well. Why don't we go and grab a bite to eat and get to know each other better? hey, you know what, we're having a little time here on Friday night at this life group. Why don't you come out to our life group? And by the way, if I could encourage you to do and pursue one thing that we do here as a body to further the idea of fellowship, it would be to get involved in the life group ministry because that is where you can go more intimately with someone. And I know we have busy schedules. I know it's hard. I get it. 
But you know what? It's, it's worth prioritizing if you really want to grow in your faith. I, I will tell you, and I, I, I'm certain that there would be many of you here who will agree that there is nothing in my life and nothing in many of our lives here that has spurred on my spiritual growth and my pursuit of God more than being in a life group, in close community with someone who can hold me accountable, who can spur me on, who I can rejoice with, who I can weep with, who will come alongside me, and that is, there's no substitute for that, guys. There's no substitute for it. Make it a priority to get in a life group. And if there isn't a life group that fits your schedule, well, you know what? Start a new one. Like, figure out a way. Talk to me. We'll, we'll figure out a way to make this happen. It's that important. And so we need to be willing to engage with people, but it's two-way street, right? You have to be willing to be engaged with. I know that some of us like to scoot out of here as quickly as possible after the service is done, right? Charles Craig. And... <laughs> I love you, Chuck. I think that's like the third sermon in a row that I've picked on you. This is great. Actually, we just had a life group Christmas party at his house, so you're the best, Charles. Right? And so we are, well, there could be many different reasons for it, but if we are just getting out right away and not being willing to be engaged with, I know some of us are introverts, not, not really willing to reach out, that's okay, but at least be present so that someone can say, hey, I've seen you around, let me go and walk up to you and, so that the extroverts can actually do their thing to the introverts, and it's like, can work, you know what I'm saying? Because if all the introverts leave, then all the extroverts are just talking to each other, and then it's like, okay, we have this nice little group over here, but then we have this group over here, it's like, I don't know how to fit in. Okay, well, stick around! Right? Be willing to be engaged with. And, and here is one that is just so important. Share your struggles with other people. Please. Because if you do not, if you keep things to yourself, let me put it in maybe a way that you've never thought of it before, you are actually robbing God of the opportunity to minister to you through his body because you keep it to yourself. And that is a very selfish and prideful thing to do. If there is something going on in your life, by the grace of God, and I know it can be hard sometimes, share that thing. And then watch and see how God moves and answers prayer and ministers to you and affects that situation. And you will have cause to praise the Lord instead of continuing to stew in your situation. So let me encourage you to share when you're struggling. Do not keep it to yourself. Even if that means calling someone up out of the blue, that's okay. 
Because the enemies, the enemy's going to try to put all these different thoughts in your head like, oh, they don't want to hear it. Oh, I don't want to be a bother to them. Oh, they're busy. Ah, this, oh, that. It's all lies, guys. It's all lies. And we are destroyed for our lack of knowledge, right? Don't listen to the lies. Know the truth. And the truth of Scripture says to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is what we are called to do. That's truth. So do not be deceived into keeping things to yourselves. Again, I told you, I can go on and on and on and on about this fellowship thing, all right? This is so key, and we're really going to blow this out in the next couple of weeks as we look at the one another's together, which is really all about koinonia, right? It's really what that's about. Be devoted to this, guys. First John chapter 1, verse, says, verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, i.e., if we are really pursuing Jesus, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. That is a result of seeking and pursuing Jesus. There will be fellowship, koinonia, partnership with other brothers and sisters in your life. Amen? Number three, breaking bread. They broke bread together. This one's easier. Go eat together, right? Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, he ate with people all the time, all the time. In fact, he ate with them so much that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, his critics called him a drunkard and a glutton. Amen to drunkenness and gluttony, right? No, don't amen that. That was a joke. Naturally, he was not a, drunk, a drunkard or a glutton, but he was ministering to people, building relationship with people around meals all the time, okay? And this doesn't just refer to sharing a normal meal with each other. This also refers to celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And we do that once a month, but there's nothing that says that when you're with another person, and you're having a meal maybe in your life group, that you guys celebrate the Lord's Supper there. You don't need a pastor to preside over that. Scripture says that we're a priesthood of all believers. We all can remember our king together. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful time of doing three things. One, it's looking backwards at what Christ has done. Two, looking forward at what he's going to do when he returns. And three, looking inward and reflecting on what is separating me from him. What sins should I confess? Is there anything I need to repent of? Are there any relationships that I need to seek to reconcile? And when we do that in community with each other, it's that much more powerful. And honestly, in my life, in my experience, some of the most powerful times of celebrating the Lord's Supper haven't been here in our worship services, which honestly can sometimes be a little 
cut and dry if we're not careful. It can get a little rote. Some of the best times that I've had have been in my life group and, and places like that where we really as a community can spend time praying together and praising the Lord together and really remembering and looking forward and looking within. Break bread together. Finally, the fourth thing they devoted themselves to was prayer. And this isn't individual prayer, this is collective prayer, praying together. Depending, some people interpret this because there's a definite article, the prayers, that they had some specific prayers that they would pray together. The, the leading prayer being, of course, the Our Father, which Jesus taught them. When you pray, pray like this. Whether they had specific prayers they prayed or whether they would come together and pray kind of contemp- contemporaneously, kind of improv, ad lib of the Spirit led them, not that important, I don't think of a distinction. The critical thing is that they would pray together regularly. In Scripture, I have a ton of verses here. I mean, Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, or, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. These are, we are called to pray, yes, individually, but collectively as a body. So important. And what will happen if we're doing this? Well, the rest of the text shows us that. It, it shows us that the needs of the people will be met because we're going to be helping each other out, right? Recognize that it's needs. I would circle that word needs, not once. But the needs of the people will be met. If we live with open hands, and I know that my brother, my sister, needs something, and I have the means to help them out by either selling something off or just saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, here you go. You can have this. That is koinonia. That is fellowship. That is sharing. That's covenant community. That's what we're called to be and to do. No, this isn't socialism. No, this isn't communism. You can study that on your own and know that's not what this is. They own things. They had property. No one compelled them to sell it. In fact, when they tried to sell it to make themselves look better, we'll just read about Ananias and Sapphira. It did not end well for them in a couple of chapters, right? But if I'm living in true community with you and I know that you have a need and, and, and I'm pursuing Jesus and I am defined by him and not all the stuff in the world, well, then it's easy for me to say, yeah, yeah, okay, yep, here you go, yours, because I know you're going to use it for what God's calling you to use it for. And if you're living in a way that's not wise and you're not being a good steward of your resources, then I can live in community with you and say, hey, you know what? You might want to think about not wasting your money on this, 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 and this so that you can steward this better. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to show you how you do that. But there's a better way to do this. And because I have a relationship with you and we're pursuing Jesus together, I have the relational capital to speak that truth to you without you getting all upset and offended and worried about, you know, being told I didn't do something right. That's what 
as a result of this, that our needs will be met. And it says that we will worship together and recognize that they had large worship gatherings in the temple and small worship gatherings. They met in their homes, verse 46. So they did both together, met in the temple and in their homes. And they worshiped together. The Greek word is homothumidon, meaning in one accord. It's it, how, if you were at the State, State Theater, you saw that we had an orchestra this year, right? Pretty cool. It's, praise God for all the talent that he has brought to this body. They all played in one accord as they were directed together, right? Right? Yeah, I, I got my baton. I can do my thing. I don't know anything about it, but it looks cool. They all are pursuing the same thing together in one accord, worshiping together. And their worship flowed out of, this is so important to see, and I'm running out of time, and I just need to say this. It's so important to see that their worship of God in a group context and an individual context flowed out of their devotion to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. Again, I want to be careful because I don't want to just give it to you because I can get like that sometimes. I can just get all profit and just go off. I'm not going to do that because the Spirit of the Lord is restraining me. But I think it's fair to say that sometimes, maybe from time to time, we put worship ahead of those other things. And that becomes the primary thing that we seek in a church experience. Let me just say, calmly, that that's the wrong way to pursue God. And that's the wrong way to really experience his power in your life. Yes, God uses worship powerfully. And praise God for good singing and praise God for talented people. But worship is far more than just an expression of song, right? It's an entire lifestyle. And that whole lifestyle flows out of those other four things. If you are pursuing those, you will have fulfilling, satisfying worship that glorifies God and and feeds your soul. So I will take a body of believers who is devoted to those four things and sings off key every service any day of the week over one that has an amazing worship set, but is just right here all the time. By the grace of God, I pray that we can do all of that, but let's recognize what the priority needs to be. Amen? Text also says in verse 46 that we will grow together and have glad, generous hearts. Well, If we are living this way, there will be mutual growth as we spur one another on. And as trials and tribulations come, we will be able to walk through that because we know that we have a community around us that will help to ford the rocky waters together. That we can go through the storm together. We can have a a glad heart because, and, and, and the word in verse 46 Uh, generous, with generous hearts. It actually is uh, better translated sincere. 
which basically, you know what that means, right? People are just real with each other. They're real with each other. They don't have anything that they even feel like they need to hide because they know if I'm down, I can share that and people will help pick me up and walk with me through this, right? That's a result of being devoted to these four things is that we can walk through these storms together, we can be real with each other. And this last one is perhaps the most exciting. The Lord, when we do this as a family here, the Lord gives us favor with the people in the world who see the difference in our lives and they wanna know what the difference is. And it's very simple. There's just one thing and his name is Jesus. Right? And we can share that. And it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because that, there is nowhere else on this planet that you can find that than here as the Spirit of God knits us together, unites us, and spurs us on towards Jesus. This is what I would hope and pray and has been my prayer that we can become more like in the new year. And and let me just say very, this is the last thing I'm gonna say, this isn't something that any of us can just snap our fingers and it happens. This only happens if we seek the Lord and ask him to help us, give us the strength, give us the power, give us the desire to devote ourselves to this individually and collectively. And as we do this, as we grow, as we see God moving and we see the excitement that that it happens and builds, we will all be able to praise him as more people are coming in, more people are being saved to the glory of his name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.